just before you start listening to this podcast, a reminder that we have a special subscription offer. You can get 12 issues of The Spectator for £12, as well as a £20 Amazon voucher. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher if you'd like to get this offer. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency. I would like to remind you all that we have just launched our print edition and I'd like to encourage you all to subscribe. You can do that by going to www.spectator.us forward slash subscribe uh, and there you can take advantage of our various offers. I'm joined today by Jacob Halbrun, who is editor of The National Interest and a columnist for Spectator USA. And we're going to be talking about Michael Bloomberg and a little bit about impeachment. Um, Jacob, I know you really want to talk about impeachment, but I want to ask you about uh, your upcoming column, which I've read but hasn't been published yet, on Michael Bloomberg uh, sort of flirting with throwing his hat into the race uh, for the presidential election in 2020. Um, This is another billionaire uh, entering the race, and you seem uh, amused by this idea of um, billionaires versus billionaires as the future of democracy. Freddie, it's clearly springtime for billionaires. (laughs) We have not only... Bloomberg, but also Tom Steyer running for the Democratic nomination. And then on the Republican side, you have an ostensible billionaire in the form of Donald J. Trump. This is, of course, arousing heart palpitations in the Democratic Party, which, unlike the Republican Party, professes not to be as comfortable with the plutocrats that are dotting the American, indeed the international landscape these days. Is, is this why uh, Bloomberg has thrown his hat into the ring? Because presumably he was hoping, I mean, we've known for a while that he was sort of setting aside a large chunk of money to stop Trump winning again. And presumably he's just not happy with the likely candidates. Presumably he's not very happy with Warren. He certainly wouldn't be happy with Bernie Sanders. uh, And he just doesn't see a Democratic candidate that he likes. So therefore, he thinks he has to intervene and run himself. Well, that's the professed reason. I think the stumbles of, of Joe Biden in the debates, but perhaps even more the rise of Elizabeth Warren, has alarmed the Wall Street class. And apparently Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, personally pleaded with Bloomberg to run for the Democratic nomination. They are intensely apprehensive about the wealth tax that both Sanders and Warren are proposing, which would, if enacted, severely curb the fortunes of Uh, America's leading families and entrepreneurs. There's a piece by Megan McArdle today in the Washington Post saying that it would have devastating effects upon the American economy at large if it were passed. The likely prospect is that none of this would ever occur, 
even if Congress did pass a wealth tax, the Supreme Court could find it unconstitutional. Yes. Nevertheless, you can never be too careful when it comes to your money. So I think that's the premise that Bloomberg is operating upon. Well, isn't it with Warren? Isn't it kind of a a, a sort of paranoia? Because I thought there was a understanding among uh, very rich people in America that Warren was a kind of showboat populist, and she wouldn't really uh, make the wealth tax hurt in the way that, say, Bernie Sanders would. You never know. And as the Trump presidency shows, people anticipated that he might move to the middle or that he would push for an infrastructure program. They said during the campaign that he didn't really believe what he was saying. But then as president, he's governed further from the right than any of his predecessors. Yes. And so there is there is a populist wave that Trump capitalized upon and that Warren and Sanders are also trying to tap into that could, in fact, push them to adopt these policies. Of course, with Sanders, it's, it's something that he believes in fervently. With Warren, we, we, we don't know. And, uh, I mean, let's talk about Bloomberg as a candidate. I mean, obviously, he wouldn't appeal to the, grass, the grassroots left, uh, but he does have a sort of authoritarian streak um, that appeals to quite a lot of Americans, I'd say. Maybe it appeals to corporate America. He's very anti-sugar. He's anti-cigarettes. Uh, he seems to be anti the idea of people having fun outside of the world of money. And he pushed through the stop and frisk policies in New York, which has drawn widespread opprobrium from African-American leaders and others on the left because they see Bloomberg in his own way as a advocate of the surveillance state. Libertarians dislike Bloomberg intensely as well because he definitely has this authoritarian streak. Some people call him the nanny state mayor. Yes. He doesn't like uh, fast food, for instance, which is quite a uh, radical position for a lot of Americans, isn't it? Right. He doesn't like the thing that most most Americans do. Yeah. Um, But Bloomberg appeals to a kind of upper class Democrat who wants the wants to make token nods to the left, but to enact policies to keep corporate America happy. And of course, that's precisely what the base is rebelling against. It has its analog in the Republican Party where Republican politicians would constantly refer to the concerns of evangelicals but do very little to push them forward. Trump is the first president who really has. And what if if Bloomberg does uh, enter the race, I mean, it seems to me it would most obviously help uh, Trump, because he would take a large chunk of independents, say, who probably would always be allergic to voting for Trump, but may well end up voting for someone like Warren. Um, and and, and he, would, he would hoover up all those votes, and, and then that would help Trump, presumably. Well, in a general election, if, if Bloomberg, by some fluke, got the Democratic nomination, I think he would, in fact, pose a severe threat to Trump. Yeah. Because 
he is a self-made man, which Trump is not. And he has a record in New York of turning the city around. What Americans, I mean, Trump, Trump remains broadly unpopular. Americans are looking for a safe and secure candidate, not a radical mm. to depose Trump. So Bloomberg would definitely fit that bill. I just am not convinced that he can garner the Democratic nomination, given the makeup of the party itself. Yes. You think someone like Biden, who has more sort of uh, political charm and is more of a, a Democratic figure, uh, is more likely to, to occupy that middle ground? Without question. He still has the staunch support of the black community. Uh, he continues to lead in the polls as far as personal popularity. My own gut is that Elizabeth Warren has already peaked. And as I've said before, I, can, I think that Biden will win the Democratic nomination. He's the candidate that everyone will settle upon. He's not perfect, but he's good enough. And uh, last thing before we get onto impeachment, because I, I know you're itching to get onto that. I think let's talk briefly about Hillary Clinton, because she's in London this week and she's been dropping very heavy hints that she's considering uh, a run. Um, she says many, many, many people uh, are pressing her to do it. Um, you, I think, are a, are a Hillary sceptic on this question. You think um, she's just trying to get publicity for her book. Is that right? She, yes, and she's doing it very well. She also knows that uh, she can torment the Brits a little and antagonize the Russians by raising the specter that the, that the current election that you're having will be influenced by a little love from Russia. And so she's, I think she was, it was a smart move on her part, but it's much too late for her to enter the, uh, the Democratic race. She, she, most of her campaign aides have already endorsed other candidates, including Biden. So I just don't see her having the infrastructure to mount a viable campaign. So it may be gutsy, but it would be too late. Yes, but I would say you're welcome to have her. Why not... <laughs> um, make her a British subject and uh, enlist her, make her a, uh, a life peer and uh, we'll be rid of her. I, I, I mean, I can't think of anything that would be less popular, but uh, it's, it's a good idea. Let's move on to impeachment because today was a big day uh, for impeachment. Uh, sum up what's happened as far as uh, Donald Trump and Ukraine gate has happened. To, what's happened today? Well, the Democrats managed to land a blow against Trump today. Politico called it a damning revelation, which was that the Trump's emissary to Ukraine, William Taylor, who was testifying today, said that one of his aides had directly overheard Trump and Sondland discussing the investigations that Trump had called Sondland, who was in a restaurant, and then, he, and then he heard Trump over the cell phone say, what's the state of the investigation? Now, Trump has consistently denied that he's been directly involved or tried to pressure Ukraine. This aide is apparently scheduled to testify in closed testimony on Friday. He could be the hinge upon which this entire impeachment uh, hearing and, and possible trial would 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 uh, 
would hinge. Well, Jake, I'm quite interested in uh, Sondland because uh, we heard, I think, was it last week, um, that he had flipped on Trump, that as a loyal Trump ally, he had changed his story from saying that there was no quid pro quo to Ukraine to admitting that there was uh, a quid pro quo. I, I read the transcript and it seemed to me that Sondland was talking about a very different quid pro quo to the one that a lot of Democrats are suggesting. He was talking about the idea that unless uh, the Ukrainians sort out their corruption issues, America wouldn't give any aid. Uh, he wasn't necessarily suggesting unless Ukraine gives Trump the dirt on Joe Biden, his political rival, uh, then the aid would not be forthcoming. Has something else emerged to suggest that's not that my understanding is wrong? Well, today the the testimony from William Taylor was that he had been told by Sondland that it wasn't simply uh, limited to the arms aid, but that it also included a meeting in Washington. And then Taylor also disclosed, which he said he hadn't known when he testified on October 22nd, that a top aide of his had heard Trump directly asking Sondland about the state of the inquiry. So I think Sondland's testimony, his public testimony, is likely to be quite damaging to Trump. It may be even worse than we anticipated. And I'm not sure that the congressmen are getting hung up on the word or the term quid pro quo. They're being, at least the Democratic congressmen are being clever and using terms like extortion or blackmail or whatever, whatever term you choose to employ. So I think it'll be tougher more difficult to argue that it wasn't a quid pro quo. I think Trump's argument is that he was perfectly justified, not simply in asking about Ukrainian corruption, but that in fact, it was entire, that he, as he put it yesterday in a tweet, he had an obligation, a presidential duty, to look into what Biden and his son were doing in Ukraine. So he is not conforming to the Republican defense of him. And uh, I mean, I know that uh, the tendency is always to say that Trump's presidency is in grave peril. Uh, and I know that perhaps I've been a little bit, uh, uh, I've tended to underestimate how much peril the Trump presidency is in in these things. But it seems to me like this is a, uh, an extraordinary uh, distraction from uh, the election. Uh, you think I'm wrong, don't you? Well, I think I'm not sure that the Democrats are convinced that they can topple Trump. I think the, the purpose of these hearings and then the Senate trial would be to wound Trump and to get Republican senators on record as being unwilling to impeach him and then use that as a bludgeon during the general election in 2020. Now, if something pops out, you know, if they, if they were actually able to uh, oust Trump from office or force him to resign, that would be, that would be perhaps an unexpected bonus. 
But what, I could. What's I, your take on that, Freddie? Well, I can see how that works in the Senate race. I mean, I can see that certain Senate seats would benefit from a lot of voters thinking, of course, the Republican senators backed Trump. I just can't see how it helps the Democrats in the presidential race, which presumably they really want to win. Uh, well, because there, I think there, it... are two, there are two ways that it could help. First, it uh, has already galvanized the base and they needed to motivate their base. The Republican base has been motivated by Trump and the D- Democrats needed an issue uh, to show their base that they're actually battling his presidency and not simply remaining in a supine position, which was the criticism until impeachment was lodged. Now, the other aspect of these hearings is, will they persuade the persuade, that small percentage of persuadable voters, the ones who aren't locked down on other side, that Trump is in fact a sinister president who has sought to subordinate American national security to his own private political needs. That's, that's the open question of these hearings. But I will say that they did not begin in an auspicious note for Trump today. Now, again, I, I'm wary of saying that Trump will be ousted from office. But the more interesting question, it seems to me, is what's the amount of damage that they can do to his already listing presidency? Well, and the polls suggest that uh, actually the public is uh, more suspicious of Trump on this than probably a lot of people give the American public uh, credit for. Right. I mean, the polls, you know, shifted pretty rapidly. And I, I think it's a, it's a hard hand for the Republican Party to play because Trump in many ways is his own worst enemy in tweeting about all of this. And I think it's the, the wild card here, of course, is Trump himself. What will he do and say in coming days? He is, has such a thin skin and a volcanic temper that he, he does make it more difficult for Republicans to craft plausible defenses of him, though they've been showing great creativity in the past few weeks. Well, I think we should um, check back, back in on the process with you in a few weeks' time. Thank you very much, Jacob. Thank you, Freddie. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Americano. And I'd like to encourage you all to give us your feedback, positive comments or constructive comments only, please, to podcast at spectator.co.uk and say anything you like there as long as it's reasonably polite. 